an empty tomb. We celebrate an empty tomb because the tomb is empty. And the ability to celebrate that empty tomb is because the tomb is empty. Let's talk about Resurrection Sunday, coming up next. And again, greetings in Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. You know, John Bunyan, in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, made note of the fact that Christian, throughout his entire journey, was able to see the cross just off to the side. It never went out of view. Neither did the empty tomb. And that is the joy that you and I as believers have in Christ. There is an empty tomb, and that commands our life day to day. It encourages us and spurs us on. With another look at Resurrection Sunday and an empty tomb, here's Pastor Steve Converse with this edition of Graceful Truth. Well, this morning, I just want to look at these four imperatives here. Because at this point, neither Peter nor John had seen the resurrected Lord. He was seen by the women first. It's kind of interesting that those who had been last at the cross were now first at the tomb. That's why I say, you know what, you have to linger at the cross to fully comprehend what the resurrection even means. If you don't understand the suffering of the cross, and you don't understand the payment that Christ paid for your sins and mine in full, complete, he doesn't just, you know, put a down payment. No, it's, it's complete payment. Complete satisfaction, the Bible says. Until you understand that. Until you understand your need for such a payment to be made on your behalf. Because the last time I checked, none of us are perfect. Not a one of us. The Bible says very clearly, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all come short. Each and every one of us. And even if you could die... On a cross, it wouldn't be good enough because you wouldn't be a perfect sacrifice. And that's what Christ, that's what God demanded. A perfect sacrifice. And the only person that fulfilled the qualifications to become that perfect sacrifice was Jesus Christ, the God-man, the, the God who came down and was born of a virgin and lived a life of perfection. And yet he willingly went to a cross and he willingly gave up his life. They didn't kill him. He gave his life up. He gave his life up for you and for me. He wanted us to understand forgiveness. He wanted us to understand victory over sin and death. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what is in your life. There's no way for me to know that unless you told me. But you know what? He does. God knows exactly what you're going through. God knows exactly what you've been through, what you're going to go through. He knows everything about us. And he says, you know what? Come closer. I want you to, to see some things. Well, Jesus met them on their way home after they had gone to the tomb. They saw the angels. They heard about Jesus' resurrection. And the angels' message here contains four imperatives in verses 6 to 7 here. And the first one is simply the imperative, Come. Come, you see it there in verse 6. It says, he is not here, he is risen, as he said, come. The first of the angels' imperative was simply to come. It's an important statement because there's a lot that probably would have 
prevented the women from coming and checking this out. The place itself might have hindered them. I mean, here they are in a graveyard early in the morning. They might have, as soon as the, saw the stone was moved away, they said, hey, it's not safe here. Let's get out of here. Let's, let's come back when it's brighter, when it's lighter, when there's more people around. Besides, this tomb is supposed to be guarded by Roman soldiers. What if they think we're having something to do with moving this stone? Maybe fear of Rome could have prevented them or hindered them from coming See, the fact that this stone was removed really made a statement. It said, you know what? Roman was de- defied. And you don't do that lightly. There's an implication of a crime here. They might have said, you know what? We can't go any closer. You know, We're not going to come any closer because Rome forbids it. Maybe their sin hindered them. I mean, something happened here. Maybe they thought this was kind of like sacred ground. We can't go in there. Something weird happened here. This almost seems like holy ground. Maybe they didn't feel worthy to come. None of this stopped them, though. As you know, the invitation to come was from God. And they recognized the voice of God in the invitation, and they obeyed it. See, when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, what is that? It's the Lord inviting you to come. He's speaking to you when he says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you what? Rest. Are you tired? Are you tired of constantly trying to fight against sin and and, and fight against everything that's out there in the world? Jesus says, come to me. If you're weary, if you're burdened, come to me. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. See, I don't care what the psychologist tells you. God is not like your dad. God is not like your earthly father. There's a lot of people that are messed up because maybe they didn't have a great relationship with their dad. And so when they come to God, they're just like, no way. They transfer all that bad experience right over to God. You know what? God is not your earthly father. He wants to give you rest. Jesus says he's gentle, he's humble in heart. He's not prideful and arrogant. And the Bible says that you will find rest for your souls. You know, your soul is the most cherished thing that you have. It should be. A lot of people don't realize that. Your soul is eternal because we can't see it. We forget how cherished our soul should be. If I came up to you and said, hey, you know what? You got two good eyes. I'll give you 10,000 for one of your eyes. I don't think you would give me it to me. How about if I said a million dollars? I don't even think you would do that. You know what? I'll give you $2 million for both your eyes. How's that? I don't think you would do it. That's a lot of money. How about 10 million? You probably wouldn't. Why? Because you cherish the idea that you can see every day. And yet something like our soul, we just kind of throw it aside. That doesn't matter. Let me ask you a question. Have you come? Have you obeyed that invitation? Come to me. That's a direct invitation from Christ to your heart. There can be no knowledge of God, no salvation, no growth in the Christian life until you're willing to do just that, to come. Well, let's look at the second imperative. The second imperative here, he says in verse 6, not just come, but come see. (laughs) Come see. The angel said, come and see the place where he lay. Do you ever think 
what you should see when you look inside that tomb? When you look into the tomb of Christ, what should you see? Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached a message on this verse. And he suggests five things that we should see when we look into the tomb of Christ. First of all, he says that we should see in Christ's grave the condescension of Jesus Christ. Jesus was not a a man for whom death would be natural. Jesus is who? Jesus is God, the Bible says. He was with the Father from all eternity, and he'll be with him forevermore. We would never expect Jesus to die, just like the disciples didn't expect him to die. But Jesus did just that. He, in fact, died for you. He died for me. And we should marvel at that condescension of such an amazing God that he would be able to place himself in a tomb to save us. Secondly, Spurgeon says that we should see the horror of our sin. When we look into the tomb of Christ, we should see the horror of our sin. You say, well, why is that? Because it was our sin that put him there. Death is the punishment for sin, beloved. That's what the word of God says. Death is a punishment for sin. The last time I checked, Jesus didn't have any sin. He was sinless. He was perfect. Why then did Jesus die? The answer is clear. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for what? Our transgressions. He was crushed, what? For our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. See, when we look into the tomb, we begin to see the horror of our own sin. And we develop a proper hatred for it. Thirdly, he says that we should look into the tomb to be reminded. This is kind of morbid, morbid in a way, but it's the truth that we too will die. It was interesting this morning at the sunrise service, I opened up and I said, you know, it's such a wonderful thing to stand here on this hillside up at Skyline Memorial where so many families, loved ones and individuals have stood on these very grounds celebrating the life of someone that they knew, but they don't live anymore. They're dead. And they've put them in the ground. They put some flowers there. Maybe they go up on occasion. And you think of the, the tears that have been shed on that piece of property over the many years that it's been there. And yet it's such a glorious thing to gather there as believers and realize that, you know what? Death has no hold on us. The mere fact that Christ rose from the grave, victorious over sin and death. But when we look into that tomb, we should realize that, you know what? We're going to die. Pending the Lord's return, we will all meet the fate of death. We can look around this room and we can count numbers of people that are no longer here with us to worship on this resurrection Sunday. Why? Because they died. Most of them have gone on to be with the Lord. Praise the Lord. Why would you want to stay here anyway? See, unless the Lord returns for his own before that moment, we also will die and will be separated from those that we know and we love. See, the tomb speaks of our, our mortality. It warns us that, you know what, there's a life beyond this life. And you better get prepared. You don't just die and put you in a box and that's it, game over. No, there's eternal life. We're all eternal. The question is, where will you spend eternity? Will it be in the presence of God through the sacrifice of Christ? Or will it be in the torments of hell? And fourthly, he says, we must look into the tomb to see that Jesus is not in it. (laughs) 
He's not in it. He's risen just as he said. He conquered death. The empty tomb is one of the the, the great evidences of the resurrection itself. Whether in the New Testament or in the secular sources of time, there is not one attempt to deny that this grave was empty. Now they give all kinds of explanations why it's empty, but it was empty. There was no body there. Literally. With all kinds of silly things. Maybe the disciples stole the body. But nowhere has any writer denied that the tomb was empty. Well, what can account for that? See, if the, if the body had somehow been stolen, they would have produced it later when the resurrection was proclaimed by, by Jesus' followers and said, see, yeah, we got the body. He wasn't resurrected. The enemies of Christ have stolen. If the disciples of Christ stole it, if they stole the body, they would not have been willing to die for something that wasn't even real. Come and think about it. It would have been a fabrication. See, the only explanation, the only adequate explanation, when you put all the facts on the line of the empty tomb, is that Jesus had been raised from the dead, just as the Bible teaches. But the fifth reason, Spurgeon says, that we should look into the tomb is to learn that we also will rise just as Jesus did. See, because we're joined to him through our relationship of Christ, we're joined to him. Jesus did not come to earth merely to teach, die, rise again, so that in the end he might lose those whom he died. He came to save his own completely. Take them to heaven to be with him. And when we look into the tomb, we're assured that one day we will be with him and we'll be just as he is. 1 John 3, 2 says that. So we come, we see. The third imperative here is to go. He says in verse 7, then go quickly. Go quickly. It's a strong reminder really of how tempting it must have been to hang out at the tomb. I mean, it's a historical event happened. I mean, this is a supernatural place. Somebody that was dead is now no longer there. And the grave clothes are there. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you you, you can set up shop there and charge a mission. And people would come and, and see it. And so they needed to be told to go. Because they wanted to linger there. They wanted to stay there. But you know what? Work had to be done. You have to move on. And this is the way the gospel ends, of course, for the last words of Jesus to his disciples in Matthew 28 are what? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Jesus tells us very clearly what our game plan is to be. A lot of people put the emphasis on the going in that great commandment. But it's really not. If you were to just, if I were to reverse that the way it really, the original language indicates it should read, it should be, as you are going, make disciples. As you are going. And we're all going. We're all going to get up in a couple minutes here, and we're going to leave, we're going to walk out through these doors. We're going to be going somewhere. Whether it's over to Fellowship Hall for coffee and donuts or wherever. 
You're going to be going. And what is he saying? He's saying make disciples. You take the message of the resurrection. You take the message of of new faith in Christ with you. And you share that with people. And that brings us to the the fourth imperative here. As you are going, tell. He is not here. He is risen from the dead. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and what? Tell his disciples. I think it's in the right order, by the way. I think there's a reason why this came last. For if we've come to the tomb, if we've seen the tomb is empty, we know that Jesus Christ has risen and then obeyed Jesus by going into the world in our sphere of influence. Clearly, it would be unconscionable not to speak of what you know. We must say to people, he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. And that's a powerful, astonishing news. And it's good news. I would even go to say is, if we do not tell people that good news, our actions can only be the result of unbelief. Or maybe we don't even understand how great and powerful and astonishing the gospel is. Sometimes people who come to Christ fail to understand just the dynamic of the relationship that they're in with the God who created them. They forget. Because they come to church, they go to prayer meeting, they go to Bible study, they pray before they eat at a restaurant, they do all the stuff. And we fail to understand that, you know what, most of the world is not experiencing the relationship that we have with our Creator. So we need to come, we need to see, we need to go, and we need to tell. Now, there was probably opposition for the women who went to the tomb. They weren't the only ones who knew about the resurrection, according to Matthew. The soldiers also knew about it. <laughs> they were present when the angel rolled away the stone. It says they were terrified. They went and they told the religious leaders what had happened. The angels came, they opened the tomb, the body's not there. When Jesus was dying on the cross, beloved, the leaders taunted him. Do you remember this? Matthew 27, 27, 42, he says, Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. But now Jesus had done something far even greater than that. He had been raised from the dead. But did they believe? No. They didn't believe. They could not believe because they would not believe. They hated Christ. They hated Jesus. So they drew the soldiers into this evil conspiracy. Hey, we're going to give you a lot of money to do this. And the reason they had to give them a lot of money is because their lives were on the line. And if it comes to the point where the, the religious leaders or the, the Roman leaders want your guy's head, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll stick up for you. We'll make up something else. So the soldiers were bribed. And it says this story had been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. What day? Well, Matthew meant the day upon his writing this gospel. But you know what? The lie of the leaders didn't end with them. This is a lie that's been repeated throughout history, beloved. Even to our own day, there are those who are enemies of Jesus. They're enemies of the gospel. You don't have to look far to see this. I guess what I would ask you this morning is, are you an enemy? Or have you come and saw and are willing to go and tell the wonderful resurrection of Christ. 
And it's, it's, so, it's so important that we understand that, you know what, there's going to be many, many people who are against this belief. Because if you can disprove the resurrection somehow, nothing else matters. <laughs> and that is so true. Jesus said this in Luke uh, sixteen thirty one. He's teaching in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. He said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Isn't that amazing? Christ knew exactly where their hearts were. But you know what? Those who have been given to Christ by the Father, we do believe. And we know that it's God who draws us into that faith in Christ. It's not something that we conjure up on our own. It's not something that we can do on our own. It's not something we try to perform religious works. We understand that it's solely by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's not of works, lest any man should boast, the Bible says. See, we need to take that good news to those who are lost. Well, you know that Jesus died. There's no doubt about that. I trust you know that he died for you. You know that he rose from the dead. The question God is asking you is very simple. Very simple question. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Who is Jesus Christ to you? See, that's the inescapable question. Because he alone is the only one who can redeem you. He alone is the only one who can free you from the power and penalty of your sin. He is the only one who can transform you. To restore you to fellowship with God and to give your life eternal purpose. Not just purpose for the next 24 hours. Close with a question. Will you turn your sin? Will you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Join me in prayer. Father, we pray today and we thank you for the glory, not only of the cross, but the wonderment of the resurrection. And we thank you, Lord, because we're willing to spend time at the cross. The resurrection means even more to us. It just upholds your character. It upholds your honesty. It upholds who you are as our God. That you won't say one thing and do another. You're not in the business of baiting and switching us. It's not a shell game we're talking about here. It's God giving us eternal truth and that truth that we can live and die upon because it's that truth that affects us to the very core, to makes us, makes us new people in Christ when we're willing to come to the cross and to bear our sin and leave it there, knowing that he paid for it and turning to you and asking you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That prayer alone, if it's prayed from a sincere heart, is a prayer that will save you. It will give you new life in Christ. Old things will pass away. Behold, all things will become new. You'll still be the same person. You're not going to turn into some religious freak. Don't be afraid of that. God wouldn't do that to you. He hasn't done that to any of us. But he definitely gives us a desire to live for him each and every day, to understand his word more fully each and every day, to live by the, the spirit, not by the flesh, to set our agenda aside and to trust in his plan and his purpose for us. That's the God that we serve. He loves us so much that he gave that his only son to die on the cross. I pray that you would more fully understand the resurrection of Christ only because you spent time 
at the cross of Christ. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.